This is a fourth-hand production. And then I said, uh, being the lifelong editor, I said, actually, you're not dying, you're dead. Because, you know, when you're going on to your reward, the most important thing is to correct your tense. And <laughs> I thought... <laughs> I thought it was really funny that, you know, I'm not dying, I'm dead. And I laughed out loud and I heard my giggle and I cannot begin to express how comforting that was to know. I mean, we always wonder, what's it really like when you die? But it was immensely comforting to know that everything I really am, down to my bizarre sense of humor and my goofy giggle had made the transition with me. believe in ghosts and the paranormal are they are they ufos or are they like some crazy experimental you know governmental i don't know planes that they're both and police in espanola are catching more than just criminals they're catching images of what they believe are ghosts weird animal-like creature that was shot, wolf-like creature that just stood out in some odd ways. And welcome everybody to Strange Uncles. I'm Shane. I'm John. I'm Josh. Yeah, I think the uh, before we get into our show, I think the highlight of the conversation is the second COVID shot and exactly why did we decide to take it? Would I be? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I got it yesterday. I got the Moderna, the second one yesterday. And the first one didn't really do anything. It just kind of like, you know, made my arm sore, but it was fine. But man, uh, it the second one like yesterday, like almost an hour later, my arm was just like, whoa, okay. And then all night last night, I just sweat like crazy. I felt like cold shivers. And then today's just been like up and down. Like I kind of woke up. I'm like, oh, man, okay, I feel a lot better. And then like as the day goes on, I'm like, nope. Yep, yep. (laughs) Dude, I feel for you. You know, I got the Pfizer on Monday, Tuesday morning, woke up. And again, the first shot was nothing. I didn't even feel the shot go in. My arm wasn't sore. I wasn't fatigued. I wasn't. Man, I woke up the next day. My whole arm felt like I was falling off. I felt like somebody hit me with a truck. Like it was not a good experience. But it it so I'm telling you, 24 hours, buddy. Then you're yep. <laughs> you're gonna be kind of where yeah, you need to be. You just I'll gotta be, go through it. You know. Yeah, so. I'll be all right. I'm I'm glad I got it. Yeah, I would get it again. Absolutely, absolutely. And I think that's the premise. So those of you out there, uh, while we're on the conversation, go get it. It is open as of yesterday, April 19th. This podcast will drop probably five days after um, just to, uh, you know, for everybody, every American. Go get it. We've got plenty. You know, don't be a dummy. Help us get out of this mess and take off masks and kind of be normal again. That would be fantastic, I think. Yeah. So anyway. But uh, with that being said, um, we really don't have anything other than that. You know, we are last episode, we got some good reviews on and what we did. We had episodes a few ago where we actually did the news out of Rachel, Nevada, near Area 51. Um, Got good reviews for that. You know, again, thanks everybody involved. We had guests, we had Larry, we had other people there. And and I think it was just, uh, it was really kind of cool. The great Randini was part of that. Um, so, you know, we got a lot of Patreon listeners like, oh, can't wait for you guys to do another road trip. So that means we got a plan and we'll just go forth. So, but on this episode, we actually have, uh, somebody lined up. Her name is Rosemary Thornton. And, uh, 
Very interesting. Looked on a little of her backstory. So we're all kind of the the whole NDE, you know, near death experience fascinates me. What people see, what they experience, then they come back to explain that experience. Uh, and it seems like every story is different. Well, she's got one that is, I don't know, boys, a little bit diff- different from what I usually have heard. But um, yeah, it's very a doozy. Intense. Yeah, yeah, super tragic, and thankfully it has a a, a good ending. Mm-hmm. Definitely a good ending. But mm-hmm. yeah, it's a very very tough story. You know, I feel for. Absolutely, I do too. You know, and we all go through trauma in life. I think, but uh, this one's very unique. So mm-hmm. anyway, unless you guys have anything else, we're going to go ahead and jump into the interview with Rosemary Thornton. Listeners, enjoy. For 20 years, Rose Thornton enjoyed a national reputation as an expert on old houses. The author of nine books, Rose has been featured on everything from PBS History Detectives to BBC Radio. In 2016, her husband committed suicide, and two years later, Rose unfortunately was diagnosed with a life-threatening illness. After a routine medical procedure, Rose bled to death. In heaven, she was told that if she agreed to return to Earth, she would be restored to wholeness. Subsequently, medical tests afterwards affirmed that not only had the disease disappeared, but she was also healed of the grief of the passing of her husband. We are excited to have her on the show to hear more about the story because we near-death experiences uh, just fascinate all of us on this show. So, Rosemary, thank you so much for coming on Strange Uncles. Thank you for having me. This should be fun. Yeah. yeah yes, we're excited. A, yeah. Always a great conversation with the NDEs because um, you – you, you never know where they're going to go. Um, and so what we ask a lot of our guests really is just just kind of a breakdown for our listeners. You know, what, you know a little bit of your past, you know, with, with what you did prior. And then, of course, you had this, this encounter in life, and it led you to kind of where you're at now. So we want to just give you the platform to have you kind of break that down a little bit more. Okay. Well, uh, I know – um, everyone's mostly interested in the NDE, but the backstory has some merit and some some importance here. Uh, I married the man I thought was the love of my life. He was a litigator. He was brilliant, had an IQ north of 180, had an eidetic memory, which meant he memorized everything he ever read to a point he could recite it back. And he was, I, I loved him beyond what words can easily express. So then uh, beautiful Spring day in April 2016 came 2016 came home for lunch, sat down in his favorite chair and put a gun in his mouth and ended his life. Jesus. And I had always been a writer. I'd worked as a newspaper reporter. Uh, I'd written for websites, written pretty much for everything a person can write for, magazines, newspapers, all of it. Had written nine books. Um, and I lost my mind. I've always been very sensitive, as so many writers are. The typical creative type way too sensitive, ruminate way too much, overthink every single thing. And this was my undoing. And nobody knew what to do with me. I mean, I went from being a newspaper reporter, a freelancer at that, to writing this cute little book about the Sears Kit Homes of America. And that book had amazing success for a self-published book. And I was, uh, I was, people thought of me as strong and competent and capable and determined, persistent, you know, a lot of nice qualities. But boy, this thing my husband did just took me to the depths of hell. And he left behind a note. Uh, actually, the cops found it as he had anticipated first, uh, but it blamed me for what he had done. Oh, Jesus. And there are no do overs for that, none. And so I, I, I was a mess beyond, again, beyond what words can say. I guess I had what, 
some might call a psychotic break. I, I lost my mind. My family didn't know what to do with me. And a couple family friends stepped in and said, um, you can't put her in a psych ward. That'll finish her off. And so they, uh, one friend took care of me, took, took me into her own home for four months and took care of me. I, I was pretty much a toddler level. I, I couldn't feed myself. I had trouble dressing myself. I had trouble getting out of bed. I, it was just very bad, very bad. I lost a tremendous amount of weight. I lost probably 40 pounds in a short period of time. I, I lost the ability to swallow food. I was living on liquid nutrition supplements for a long time. And then uh, my other friend, after four months, my other friend stepped in and said, you know, I'll, I'll take care of her now. And uh, he was just a neighbor. And the thing was, people, you know, my friend that took me in, her name was Tracy, the one that took me in for the first four months, which were the worst, she said when she'd been a realtor and she'd been out driving around in her car when the news came that my husband, who was a prominent attorney, uh, had committed suicide at our home. And my friend Tracy said she was so distraught that she had to pull over the car and she just sobbed. Mm. And she said she heard herself saying, we're going to lose Rosemary. She's not going to survive this. Because anyone who would listen, I told them how much I love this man. So it was very bad, and uh, I, I assumed, <laughs> it's kind of funny now, but I had a financial advisor sit me down, wanted to help me plan the future, <laughs> mm. and she sat me down. She was very, very upbeat, and you know, you could tell she'd never been through much hardship in life. Right, you know? right, right. But she sat me down. She said, where do you see yourself in two years? Let's make some goals. Let's make some plans. And I said, oh, 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 okay, two years, I'll be dead. Human beings aren't meant to survive this much pain. I'll be yeah, dead. Yeah. And she said, that's not helpful. I said, hey, don't ask the question if you don't want to know the answer. So I was, uh, you know, I could talk for some time about what a mess I was. But my point is, this wasn't just a spousal death. I went nuts. I went crazy. I even lived out of my car briefly. And actually, that's when my friend Tracy intervened. She found out I'd been sleeping in the car. And she said, we're not doing this, Rosemary. And, and I think people recognize when somebody gets to that point that they've stopped eating and they're living on Gatorade and cookies and they are living out of their car, that a, you're about to lose them. There's a problem. You know? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. You have a 58 or whatever I was, 56, 56-year-old woman that is, has gone to that point. It won't be long before she's on the streets. And once she's on the streets, it won't be long before she's gone. So my friend Tracy really did an intervention and said, come home with me. And I said, nope, 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 not, not going to do it. She said, one night. And that was brilliant because I couldn't commit to anything. And she said, come live with me for one night. So I did. And then the next night she said, let's do this a second night. And I said, okay, I can do it two nights. And this went on for four months. And every day she did it one day oh, at a wow. time and said, you know, one more night. And then, and then she handed me off. And, and I understand this was heavy duty. My friend was a realtor and she would come home at night too tired to stand. And she said she would walk into my bedroom in her house and I would be moaning and crying in my sleep, which I did for a long time. And she would stand at the foot of the bed and pray for me hmm. in the dark, in the quiet. And she said, when she prayed for me, the moaning and the groaning and the the flitting around in bed stopped and I calmed down and my breathing evened out and I fell into a restful sleep. So I really did have angels of every kind watching out for me and watching over for me. And, and she did, this, I really, she did this pardon? every night. She did this every night. Just, just every night for you know, four months. W- right. When, when did you actually realize that's what she was doing? At, after well, you know what, or? about, I guess four or five days into this, one night she crept into the room while because she got home. She was a realtor. She worked very late hours. Yeah. One night she came into the room and I was I was still awake and I I didn't want to interrupt. Uh-oh. And I saw her standing at the foot of my bed. I mean, you know, it's just 
very much like an angel. Yeah, yeah. And she would pray out loud and mm. she'd pray very quietly. Mm. She'd bow her head and say these beautiful prayers and just ask God and the angels to take away the, the demons, the sadness, the pain, the regret, the angst and, and make me whole. And I didn't know this, but this touched me so deeply. She was a member of a little church, Windsor Baptist Church in Windsor, Virginia. <laughs> and she had, uh, she had my name perpetually on a prayer list there and had the whole congregation praying for me. And that was so powerful and, and just so incredible. Mm. And I do believe, I, I believe were it not for the prayers of others, I, I'd be, I'd be long gone. I suffered with suicidal temptations relentlessly, just relentlessly. Mm. The, one of the worst things about suicide, and there's a long list of things, but when the smartest person you know, the smartest man in the room does this, it's like saying, hey, you know what? Here's a good idea. Here's how you solve this. When it gets to be too bad, we got a solution. It really opens the door and gives other people permission. Uh, an interesting aside, uh, suicide widows, as we are known, and this applies to widowers too, but somebody who has lost a spouse to suicide is 12 to 48 times more likely to end their own life. 12 to 48 times more likely. Hmm. I get, frankly, pretty angry when I hear people talk about suicide prevention. If you want to do something to help people, if you want to do something to actually stop people from ending their lives, why don't we look at a known risk factor? which are the men and women who survive after their spouses do this. In fact, we become lepers. People, people distance us. My husband and I used to have these fairly grand yard parties, lawn parties. Lots of people come over. Well, after this happened, those people disappeared. You know, I, I, I lost everything a person can lose. I lost my home. I lost all my relationships. I lost my friendships. This friend Tracy was on the periphery of my life, and yet she stepped right into the fray, and she said, Come live with me. I mean, my gosh, how bold was that? Yeah, this woman that yeah. would, you know, I would pace the halls of her house at night screaming and crying, and she invites me to come into her home. So uh, I, I lost everything, and that's how I came to be living in the car. It, it wasn't a matter of finances. It was a matter of comfort. I couldn't get comfortable anyway. You know, you're, for me, again, being way too sensitive, you're not going to go back into the house where this thing happened. I, I couldn't. I, I couldn't imagine. So that's, you know, it, so my point in this is simply we need to find a way to to draw a circle around people who have lost someone to suicide and take them in instead of saying, ooh, that's really scary. I don't want anything like that to ever happen to me. So please stay away from me. You know, something as simple as when you're at the, you know, I was at the visitation and, oh, in a side, the funeral home charged me $14,000 to put my husband's head back together, what? you know, to restore him. Yeah, yeah. Rather than say, uh, you know, perhaps we should not do this. They charged me $14,000 for a restoration of a man who did this to himself and then said the remains were not suitable for viewing. So I end up with a closed casket visitation. So, yeah, wow. but I digress. The point is everyone's in line to take a jab at you mm -hmm. and nobody's mm -hmm. saying, uh, let's back up and look at this a little objectively. But, yeah, when you see the couples perambulating past the casket, you know, to pay their regards and respects and you see them steal a glance at one, on one another's eyes and, and just send up a prayer that nothing this horrible ever happens to them. Or maybe, you know, they each have their arms intertwined around one another's waist and squeeze each other a little tighter because they recognize the horror of this. So, yeah, you do become, we are the lepers of society. People keep their distance from us. Yeah. And it is completely inappropriate. And if I've written a book, Remembering the Light, How Dying Saved My Life, I'll be out in about 30 days. But mm -hmm. if I were queen of the world and if I have the resources, my goal is to create a foundation that will help men and women who've just lost somebody to suicide navigate this because one of the side effects of suicide like this is guess who the primary suspect is when your husband ends up with a bullet in his head yeah it's always the spouse yeah yeah you get sat down and questioned by the police 
you know, and, and, and other widows and widowers can't really wrap their minds around this. I mean, he did not languish in a hospital bed holding my hand saying, I'll love you forever. You know, I got questioned by the police as to the nature of my final argument with this man. That's and, and so my yeah. goal would be create a uh, foundation that you know I mean okay I'm, I'm I don't mean to go down the rabbit hole here but look at rape in the 1970s why were you out at two in the morning why were you wearing those high heels right did yeah. you did you make advances to that yeah. man this is your fault you know, was, what I mean yeah right yeah and we're yeah. still doing yeah, that with insane. suicide it's and now we have advocacy programs in place for women who, men and women who are the victims of rape we have somebody sit down with them and we, you know while the, mm-hmm. the deepest trauma they might ever know and say you know we will go we will be a go between between you and the cops. And and that's what we need for suicide widows. But the the women who go through this, like me, we do not need to be questioned by the police as a potential suspect in a homicide investigation when we've just found out that our spouse, you know, did this. Yeah, I, I, so, I never I never got that. I never got that uh, that viewpoint where you know you you need to. There's some personalization you need to have, and when they can take that out and do that to you and not realize the situation you're in, I. I I, I don't know. I, I just I and I've heard stories, not just yours. Yours is you know many that I've heard that do that. It just puts you in a situation that you know I'm sure it buries even more. You know, it brings you. That it does. Recluse, so it, it's 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 just another <clears throat> twist to the knife, right, and you're already right. yeah, already down and out. Done, yeah. yeah, yeah. And it's incredible to me in 21st century America where we claim to be so enlightened and so mm-hmm. so caring about one another that mm-hmm. we're still t- treating suicide survivors as we're known so heinously yeah mm-hmm. so and i i mean i i had a plan to end my life and um uh, it was very detailed and when i got too depressed i would i would fantasize i'd visualize where i'd get the things i need to do the thing i wanted to do where i would do it and on and on and one thing i learned early on is you keep your mouth shut about that you don't tell anybody what you're thinking i mean the first question everyone asks is have you had any suicidal ideations? Have you had any thoughts about self-harm? I was like, oh, no, 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 no. Well, why, yes, and, I have. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I know. And then you end up in the, in the psych ward. Yeah. yeah. So I, I figured out I had a plan. So 29 months, I've, I've, I was not doing well, and yet I had learned how to be uh, a masterful performer. I had started going out to lunch with my lady friends. I had started doing yard work, you know, trying to – restart a life and yet uh every night in fact 29 months out before i was diagnosed with stage two cancer i wrote in my journal my pride i always kept a list of five things for which i'm grateful for every single day and i wrote in my journal i did not kill myself today it was a win so i was still dealing with this 29 months out so i was i had some problems i lifted something too heavy for me and i felt something inside go wrong and i went to a doctor and i thought they were just gonna say well you know it's this or it's that and they said you got cancer and I said, what? Oh, <laughs> Not me. Can't be. And I was ultimately diagnosed with stage two cervical cancer. I was uh, relayed to a, uh, referred to a gynecological oncologist. And he did an exam and said that it had advanced to a point where the flesh was distorted. And he arranged for a biopsy to determine just how far this thing had gone. It was upon visual inspection stage two, and they wanted to find out if it was more. So I went to the hospital for this thing, September 5th, 2018. It was the first time I'd been anesthetized. I had been born and raised a Christian scientist, so the medical world was an anathema to me. Mm. I really didn't know anything about anything. And, and could, you, could, you <laughs> do, they, could you do us a quick favor, by the way? Because I, I don't think a lot of the listeners really know what Christian science might be. Okay. Well, I it know. is not Scientology. They, they're often right. confused. Right. They are. Christian science is a religion based on uh, the idea that uh, – 
spiritual healing is a better resource. And, you know, it's kind of coming back into acceptance now. I mean, one out of three, uh, the third leading cause of death in the United States right now is iatrogenic-related disease. In other words, the doctors in the hospitals killing you. That's the third. I think one is heart disease, two is cancer, and three are doctors. Yeah, Western so, medicine, uh, isn't that great? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I know. So uh, I had been raised in a belief system that you pray and then you expect healing and had had, you know, a, a, a lot of success with that. I, mm-hmm. I I'd spent my life leaning hard on God and had not been disappointed. So, in fact, when they did this this intake for this surgery, you know, they want to see who they're getting ready to anesthetize. And they said, your file's pretty thin. And I said, well, I don't do doctors. And in fact, I had debated whether I should go to a doctor about this thing. And I did because I was pretty scared. I, you know, of course. course. So September 5th, they do the surgery and, you know, it took a very brief thing. I mean, you know, they, they slice open and take some pieces and parts from different places. And, and then uh, back in the recovery room, they say, okay, your time, up, up and away with you. We need the bed. Up and away. You know, on your way. <laughs> so I got up to toddle off to the potty to get myself together. You know, from the recovery room of the hospital. So this is, you know, I'm right out of uh, the anesthesia. Mm-hmm. And I went back to the RN and I said, "Hey, something's gone wrong. I'm bleeding an awful lot." And she said, "Oh, once you get down and light, once you get home and lie down, you'll be fine. Fine, fine, fine." <laughs> so I was like, wow. ah, "I think this is an awful lot of blood." Don't worry about the so, mass copious amounts of very blood. Negligent. <laughs> yeah, right. Yes, it was oh, actually, God. and three times. And unfortunately, I had a witness, my buddy Milton, who had actually been the one who had been taking care of me in the last two years. My buddy Milton was there with me, and it's good to have a witness. But he said, "Yep, three times you told her, and three times you said, three times she replied. Once you get home, you'll be okay." So Jesus. off I went. I could do the full good little girl, and I went home. And by the time we got home, I'd pretty much trashed the the seat of the car I was riding in, and I went into the house and. I, I had a beautiful home, uh, a little brick ranch, but it, it had white carpet. And, you know, when you're bleeding to death, the number one concern is messing up the carpet. You don't want any housekeeping stuff for the kids to deal with. So I was very as, concerned. As one does. Messing. Yeah. <laughs> I was very concerned about messing up that really pretty white carpet. So I went and I actually stood in my walk-in shower, uh, again, just trying to figure out what to do and not make a big mess while I'm figuring out what to do next. And in that shower... I was leaning against the wall and I thought to myself, you know, every night without fail, I had prayed three prayers. One was, um, heal me or let me go. Do not leave me in this limbo. Do not leave me in this hell. You know, the Bible says, if I make my bed in hell, thou art there. I hadn't just made my bed in hell. I'd set up housekeeping. I was in the depths of the worst hell anybody could imagine. And I, I just put on a face. You know, the word persona comes from the Latin word mask. And I had learned how to put on a mask. So everyone thought I was doing, oh, you're doing great, Rosemary. Oh, it's good to hear you laugh. And then I'd go home and I'd fantasize again about how to do the thing that would end the pain. So I'm in that shower and I'm thinking about my three prayers. One was God, heal me or let me die. Two was I can't handle any more decisions. My husband was a lawyer and had left. There were some messes that had to be managed and they each were very difficult decisions. And my third prayer was spare me the life review. You know, when I die, I know it won't be long. When I die, spare me the life review. And, and people tend to chuckle at that, but I was very serious. I had had recurring nightmares that I walked, uh, I walked up to my husband just as he pulled the trigger and that nightmare would not leave me alone. And so I saw my husband do this again in my nightmares. Uh, I don't know, hundreds of times. 
I did not want to see that again. I did not want to see the period where I lost all the weight and lived out of my car. I didn't want to see any of that again. So I begged God, spare me the life review. Three very specific prayers. So now I'm, I'm in that shower. I've come home from the ER. I've come home from the hospital and I'm in that shower and there's an awful lot of blood going down the drain. It is, it is not painful to bleed to death, but it is scary. There is a lot of anxiety in watching what you know is your, your life's blood flow down the drain. Yeah, it's not, it's not fast usually. No. And I mean, this whole thing took about seven hours, I think, from when I left the hospital to when my heart stopped. So, yeah, I'm, I'm in the shower and seeing all that blood go down the drain. And I realized what's happening. And I thought to myself, you know what? This may be God's mercy. This may be the way out. Maybe this is God saying, I'll answer your prayer. You know, so I thought about that. And I thought, maybe this is this is my ticket out of this hell. And the beauty part is nobody's going to blame me. This isn't me offing myself. This is a medical mistake gone wrong. This is this is a you know a doctor that screwed up. So I'm thinking these thoughts, and I think God, this is great. I'm out, and I, I got away clean. And then I thought about my buddy Milton on the other side. Milton and his sister Mabel had come to take care of me, you know, post surgery, and they were sitting in the living room just on the other side of my bathroom wall. And I thought, you know, is that really fair to them? All they have done for two and a half years to try to keep Rosemary alive. They have put their heart and soul. So many people would put everything into keeping me going to just lay down and die, literally. And I thought about, you know, in about five minutes, they'll come in here to check on me. And they'll see my body splayed on the white tile floor. And I thought, that's really not very fair to them after all they've done. So, and then I thought, well, you know, if you just sit down, it won't be long. You know, I knew once I sat down, I couldn't get back up. I was already getting pretty woozy. So I, I really had quite a conversation with myself as to what to do next. And um, I pushed off the wall and I mean, I, you know, like I was getting pretty faint and I stepped out of the shower and walked and wrapped a towel around me, walked into the living room and said, call 911. I'm bleeding to death. And they did. And I was whisked away to an ER. Well, that ER, I had a doctor so young. I, I think she was mighty young. And I, I told somebody, I said, I'm surprised I didn't see the word play school on this stethoscope draped around her neck. I mean, she, I think she wasn't sure what to Fresh do. Fresh out of med school. Yeah. Yeah. And she made some more mistakes. And um, I was bleeding an awful lot. And she examined me. And, and one of the mistakes they made is they packed me with gauze. Um, I was bleeding from the cervix, I guess, who knows, or uterus or something. They packed me with gauze, and all that did was stop me from making a mess. <laughs> it didn't stop the blood. Mm. So they, uh, this nurse by my left, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm out on the gurney, and uh, this lovely RN standing to my left, uh, I grabbed her hand, and I said, promise me you're not going to let me die. And she said, oh, honey, we're not going to let you die. We have many solutions for this. And she was so genuinely comforting and compassionate and decent. You know, I mean, I, I looked in her eyes and I thought, she's, she's on this. She's yeah. not just throwing words around. She means this. And then, you know, the doctor did her thing and the nurse held my hand and then they gave me, gave me a shot of Dilaudid, which is a morphine derivative, which it mm. turns out is contraindicated for plunging blood pressure. And oh. you know, when somebody's already down a few pints and you give them morphine, See, Man, even, oh, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh. My heart just kind of went whoa, and that was that. So it was only about I, I don't know, but based on my buddy Milton's recollection, because he's now in the little ER cubicle with me, it was about two minutes uh, between maybe three between when they gave me that shot and 
they walked out of the room, you know, I, I don't, I don't know what the plan was, but they walked, the nurse and the doctor walked out of the room and left Milton seated by my side. And Milton said at one point, he looked at the, they, they left me hooked up to a pulse ox on my index finger and a blood pressure cuff. And he said at one point, the blood pressure thing read uh, 32 over 25, which is pretty darn low. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and he said he actually was getting ready to jump up and run, get the doctor. Because that's pretty much dead, frankly, at 32 over 25. And then he said, my eyes opened. And I tried to sit up on the gurney, which is very impressive for somebody at 32 over 25. And he said, you reached up to heaven and you wiggled your fingers almost like a child reaching up for a heavenly parent. And he said, you said something. And, And Milton said he stood up and he leaned over right in my face. And he said, it was like I wasn't even there. He said, you looked right through me. And he said, and then you flop back on that gurney, and then your blood pressure, the monitor said error. So it wasn't even 32 over 25 at that point. And I'm pretty sure that's when I left for heaven. Mm-hmm. And the beauty part about this, oh, there's a lot of beauty parts. I was having a great time. I mean, it came very close to my last words on this earth being, that's some good stuff. You know, once that dilaudid <laughs> hit my bloodstream. Because, <laughs> you know, the curtains kind of started dancing, and I saw some real pretty colors, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, but... I was in a deep, unconscious, dreamless state with that, I don't know, the blood loss or the delauded or both. I woke up when I died, and I woke up being catapulted out of my body, and it was incredibly dramatic. I I Mm. cannot – it was so dramatic as to be jarring, but not jarring. It was that incredible, and it felt as though – there was a sinewy silver strand from the crown of my head to the heel of my feet. And like an archer's bow, somebody had pulled back on that and popped it. And when that bow hit my back is when I went flying out. I mean, it, it all, it happened at the same instant and, and I had an awareness. And so I, I wake up with this jolt being catapulted out of my body into blackness And I I did not see myself floating away from my body, but I knew that's what was happening. I was floating further and further and further away from my body. And in this blackness, it was comforting as a verb. It was peace and comfort as a verb, actively comforting me, actively infusing me with peace. And my first words out of my new mouth experience, human-esque form, whatever, were my heart has stopped. And I thought, how do I know that? And then I thought, I don't know, but I know that's right. Hmm. And then I thought, I'm dying. And then I said, uh, being the lifelong editor, I said, actually, you're not dying, you're dead. Because, you know, when you're going on to your reward, the most important thing is to correct your tense. And <laughs> I thought <laughs> I thought it was really funny that, you know, I'm not dying, I'm dead. And I laughed out loud and I heard my giggle. And I cannot begin to express how comforting that was. To know, I mean, we always wonder, what's it really like when you die? But it was immensely comforting to know that everything I really am, down to my bizarre sense of humor, and my goofy giggle had made the transition with me. And in hearing that giggle, I thought to myself, I don't have breath sounds. I'm pretty sure I don't have vocal cords, Mm. and I don't have lungs. Mm. So how am I producing the sound that I'm hearing? And I thought, I don't know. But I am. And again, it was immensely comforting that I sound like I sound now. Yeah. And I, 
it was as though my intellect, I mean, I've always thought of myself as something of a smart cookie. I spent six years writing one book, six years researching one book. You know, that's a special flavor of obsession to spend six years researching one book on a facet of history that, you know, most people are like, yeah, great, next. So, but I thought my, it felt like my intellect had been supercharged. I was still the wow. same person I was, but I, I was aware of a hundred things at once. It was, I didn't have five senses. I had a hundred and five senses. And I, I just had this awareness of everything and anything. And I, I'm also into ham radio. And the best way I can liken it, it's like I'd been living at 60 amps and somebody was now putting 100,000 amps through a 60 amp box. And it was almost overwhelming, but it wasn't. It was great. And I, I just had so many thoughts at once. And early on in this experience, as I'm floating further and further away from my body, I felt this massive spiritual being join me. And I thought, oh, man, this is just getting better and better. I mean, I was to talk about those, you know, I, I kept a, a list of the five things for which I'm grateful every single day. I just kept saying, thank you, God. Thank you. Thank you. I'm free. I genuinely, truly felt like I'd been granted early release for good behavior. You know, my husband's death had eviscerated me. And now I was free. And again, as I had thought in that shower, I thought now in this new experience, I didn't do this to myself. My children will not know the horror of having a mother who offed herself. They'll just say, oh, mom, she went into the hospital and it went wrong. Yeah. I said, I am things out. Went, things went south for sure. Um, that that absolutely yeah. is amazing. If you don't mind, Rosemary, we're going to take a quick break. We're going to come back with that amazing story. Like I, I think the juxtapose from where what you were doing to now – what you're feeling, where you're at, I, I think is absolutely amazing. So everybody, um, stand by. We'll be right back with Rosemary Thornton. Believe in UFOs? Felt that chill up your spine that you just can't explain? Contemplate the other side of reality. Do you shake your head at the world that seems to have lost its common sense? Well, look no further than Strange Uncles. Find them on all podcast platforms and call their hotline to tell your side of reality at 801-252-6945. Open the gates. All right, everybody. So we are back with Rosemary Thornton. Um, You know, I hear a lot about the silver thread. And and I don't know, you know. I mean, again, the story at this point is amazing what you're going through. But but I I read a lot, and we've heard a lot about just that silver thread on that afterbody experience. That's still kind of a connection. Um, do you want to explain that a little bit more in in detail, or? Uh huh. <clears throat> more. That's about it. I mean, I okay. when the separation occurred, I heard a plop. And in Mary C. Neal's book, she describes it as a sound a stone makes when it hits still water. And that is a very apt description. But there was a distinctive sound that accompanied this. And my entire life, I had made a study, truly a study of near-death experiences, and I read every book I could get my hands on, which is quite a few books. I had always been a voracious reader. And, you know, starting with Raymond Moody's book, Life After Life, which I think came out in 76, 77, I've been reading every single thing I could get my hands on repeatedly. I mean, Betty Eady, Daniel Brinkley, uh, I, I've read them all again and again and again and again. But I, I want to return briefly to that spiritual being that joined me, very tall, very big, and I asked, and I'm very happy, you know, this is great. I asked, and who are you? <laughs> and the answer was immediate. And again, it was not just words. It was an infusion of information. But the answer was, you, Rosemary, you are the image and likeness. I'm the original. 
And I thought, mm. wow, that's Genesis 1, I think 27. That, that's fantastic. We're made in the image and likeness of God. And I got it. I mean, it, it changed my life then and it continues to kind of unfold in thought. But I, oh my gosh, this is so great. And, and the experience went on. I mean, if, if you told me that I'd been dead for two weeks, I'd believe it. Right, Einstein right. said to those of us who are committed physicists, the past, present, and future are only illusion, however persistent. We think of time as linear, but over there in eternity, there is not a linear construct. Right. So yeah, I, I was don't really, ask you what time was like over there. Yeah, yeah. And it isn't, it's indefinable. It's incomprehensible to us in this experience is the best way I can describe it. But that, that knowledge that there is an original and I'm but the image and likeness was life-changing. And in this floating further, again, still floating in this blackness, I said to, and now it's different spiritual being with me, but I said, I've been here before, like in this consciousness, in this 59-year or 58-year experience. I've, I've been here. And the angel said, remember that story your mom told you about you were given up for dead as an infant, and then we prayed for you mm-hmm. and you revived. They said, yeah, you didn't get close to dying, it turns out. You kind of got booted back then. Oh, wow. <laughs> Which explained wow. my hunger and thirst for those NDE stories. That, that made so much sense. And my whole life, I've been the weirdo. You know, even back in first grade, I remember kids laughing at me because I could see things and hear things that others couldn't see. And that is not an easy life for a kid. And now it all made sense. And I remember saying to these angels, these spiritual beings, hey, you know what? That would have been great to know back there, but, you know, doesn't matter now, but what's what's next? Let's do this. Yeah, yeah, let's yeah. get, let's let's get the start, show on the road. Let's start from here and move forward. Was it still all black when all of this was happening? Yes. Yeah. I was still floating in blackness. And then at one point, I remember, um, I remember thinking about uh, Paul's verse in, I think it's Corinthians, the peace that passeth all understanding. And I thought, this is what Paul was talking about, because there's no way to describe to anybody what this peace is like. This is the peace that passeth all understanding. And I thought it was so cool that I remembered all the Bible verses, that I remembered everything from my life. I remember that I was supposed to start chemotherapy in a few days. I remember I was supposed to start daily radiation. I thought, guess that's not a problem anymore, is it? And I mean, I was just so relieved. It was all over and it had a really good ending for me anyway and then at some point and this is very frustrating i was not in that blackness anymore i was on my feet standing in a white room and i do not remember the transition Hmm. and that's one of the reasons i say if you told me i've been dead for two weeks or two months or two years i'd believe it because i have no recollection of how i went from floating in that blackness to being standing on my own two feet in a white room And I remember thinking, I don't know if I have feet or legs, but I think I can move with intention. And in this white room at the far end of it, which maybe, I don't know, 15, 20 feet away, if one could even quantify such a thing, I saw a door. And I knew what that door meant. I knew that door was the line of demarcation. I knew that door was, you know, the border, the boundary, the gate people talk about. And I was like, okay, out of my way. Don't have to ask me twice. I want out of here. (laughs) Do not want to go back. So hmm. I thought about the fact that I could move with intention, and I thought, actually, what I thought was, I don't know if I have feet or legs, but I see the door, and I think if I think about getting to that door, I will move, and I started to move, and I wish I'd looked down at my feet. Was I wearing shoes? Did I have socks? My feet have been cold for 58 years. I wish I'd looked at my feet, but <laughs> my, I did not. Are my socks matching? But, I mean, I don't know what's going on here. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So uh, that was – the other thing about this white room, it was the most brilliant white 
you could ever imagine multiplied by many magnitudes. And secondly, there was like a vapor or fog swirling around in this room. And mm-hmm. I remember um, as I, uh-oh, you there? No, yeah, you're all fine. good. Yeah, you're good. You're good. Okay, sorry. Yeah, I, I had a call. <laughs> As I was looking at this white fog around me, um, I remember thinking I ought to be able to focus on an individual droplet, which I know sounds crazy. Have you ever thought about being in a fog and trying to focus on an individual droplet? But I asked the angels, I said, why can't I focus on one of these droplets? And the angel said, your vision has not accl- acclimated to this new environment yet. Hmm. And they said, but what you're seeing are, are uh, particles of light. Each itty-bitty droplet oh. is not fog or vapor or mist. It's wow. light. Wow. And it's swirling around you to heal you and restore you because you can't go into heaven with all the sadness and burdens and the heaviness and the pain and the belief of disease or something heavy on your thought like that. You know, as my friend Sandy said, leave your muddy boots at the door. So uh, I got to the door and uh, I paused. Oh, man, that's a moment I've thought about a few times since then. But I got to that door and I, I put my right hand up to push through the door. I was a little miffed that the door was shut. I thought mm-hmm. it should be open. But I put my right hand up to push through the door, and I thought, that's pretty cool, too. Right-handed on earth, right-handed in heaven. I thought, boy, everything I am really did go with me, down to right-handed dominance, you know? How cool is that? Interesting. But as I I started to move my hand up, I thought, I I asked the spiritual beings that were with me, I said, is this the divine will for my life? And uh, the answer was no. And the Mm -hmm. answer was also, but whatever you decide— if you decide to go back or you decide to go forward, you go with all of God's mercy and love and grace and care and blessings. I thought, okay, no I'll ma- take that deal. No matter which road, which option you took, they, they were, had your back. Yes. And yes. The, the other thing I was told is there are no wrong decisions. Mm. And that touched me to my core because you want to talk about decision fatigue, making a decision about whether to go on to heaven or go back to earth, that's a biggie. Mm. And I said, okay, I'll take the door. You know, that, that's, that's a good deal. And then, this is where it all really went off the rails. I, I had a vision of that nurse, and I do not believe this was a concurrent vision. I believe it was um, a potential future vision. But I saw that nurse that had been so solicitous toward me, and I saw her sitting in a hospital supply room, sitting on a little metal stool, leaning forward, head in her hands, sobbing uncontrollably. Oh, wow. And I saw her say, I saw and heard her say, I promised that woman I wasn't going to let her die, and I lost her. Hmm. And I thought, oh, man. Oh, come on. Don't do this to me. Yeah. Yeah. I thought, well, you know what? She's an RN. She signed up for this. I'm sure she's seen people die. And I thought, because my need to go on is greater than than what she may be having as a fleeting experience. Mm -hmm. So I did think that thought, and then it got worse, and then I felt her pain. It was like all the pain she had in her heart and soul was transferred to me. And it was as though somebody hit me in the chest. And uh, I know that sounds odd for a spiritual being, but that's sure what it felt like. Mm-hmm. And I recognized it as the pain I had felt from the grief of my husband's suicide. And I thought, if I can spare somebody that much agony, I can't do this. And uh, uh, I put my hand, my right hand down by my side, and it was very hard to leave that place. And somewhere in this, and I, I don't really know the timeline, but somewhere I was told that if I did agree to go back, I was healed now. You know, my time in that white room had healed me. And this horrible grief I had known, and all of it would be lifted from me because I'd been in the white room. And that's what I was told. The white room is for healing. 
And I had been granted this grace to go to the white room and be healed and get to go back to earth. So I, uh, the second I put my hand back down by my side and what I said was, if I, if I die, it's going to ruin that nurse's day, <laughs> which is kind of funny. <laughs> and in a millisecond, I was back on that gurney. And now there's lots of activity, lots of nurse, lots of medical personnel. My friend Milton said they had even called in the receptionists into that little ER cubicle to work on me. Wow. And, um, I, I ended up in the hospital for several days and the first the next morning a doctor came by, I was in the hospital a doctor came by to see me and he said, uh, you had a heart attack. And I said, no, not me. I ride my bike. I walk five miles a day. Not me. Check the name on that folder, mister. That's not me. And he said, no, no, you had a heart attack. He said, you lost so much blood. Your heart stopped. Hmm. And he said, first it went into, I, I think it's V-fib where it just kind of quivers. And then he said, it stopped. And they said, they knew my heart had stopped because I, my enzymes, they've been taking lots of blood, you know, lots of blood work and everything. And they said, uh, my enzymes, heart enzymes were very elevated, which apparently right before the heart shuts down or has an attack or whatever, it throws off these enzymes. And he said, they've already, you're already improving this morning. So we know it's not underlying heart disease. It was a heart attack. Mm. So it was nice to have an affirmation when those first words were, my heart has stopped. How do I know that? I don't know, but that's right. I was right. My heart had mm. stopped. And there was an expectation uh, that I would be pretty fragile and that there was damage to my heart, my kidneys, my liver, because bleeding to death for a 58-year-old woman, that's pretty catastrophic. Yeah, it's got to gotta be so hard to blood. come back from. So did, It was. So especially did, with cancer. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. So did they ever have a, a, a solution or an answer for why the bleeding? Like what occurred during that? Nobody ever told me. Nobody ever? Oh, okay. What I suspect, I don't know. There's a couple things. Apparently the cervix is rich in blood vessels. Mm -hmm. And uh, apparently he nicked something and perhaps he thought he solved it. You know, perhaps oh, he thought he, okay. he solved it in surgery and it popped loose, or perhaps it was uh, uterine. I don't know. But whatever it was, I, it, and there's even some doubt that it was an arterial bleed because it took me six hours to bleed to death. Mm -hmm. But no, nobody ever found out. The good news is um, it's kind of funny. They took me for all these tests because I was on total bed rest for four days. They were terrified. You know, one thing I really did love about the hospital is they were kind of saying, actually, they did say pretty definitively, we will not lose you again. You know, we, you will not die on our watch. And I, I was very comforted by that because as a suicide widow, nobody had really given a rat's ass if I was alive or dead, you know? Right. right. Yeah. I had, I mean, I had my family, of course, and, and they were very, of course, very loving and very supportive, but there's only so much you can do when, when you see your beloved mother or whomever go insane. Yeah. So this very thing, it seems like a very small thing, but the thing that these doctors and these nurses in this hospital were actually pretty clear in their pronouncements that you will not die under our care. We're not going to let that happen. And that, that you know, meant a lot to me. <laughs> These people really cared. These people didn't even know me. And yeah. they really, really cared what happened to me. And then um, there's a lot to it, but I, they, they did all kinds of tests. They did an echocardiogram and every test they came back and they said, well, you're very lucky, but there's no, there, your heart's perfect. You're very mm. lucky, but all of your enzymes, the liver enzymes and the kidney tests, everything's fine. You're very lucky. And then it took a while to find an on I had to find another oncologist because the original said, you're coming in for chemo soon. Are you ready for this? And blah, blah, blah. And I said, well, let's check because I think the angels took care of that. They were pretty clear. And mm. it took a lot of effort to find another oncologist. But in another surgery, they wanted to do another surgery. And I, I did consent. And um, that that second 
oncologist who did the surgery. Again, Milton's waiting for me out in the waiting room. Right, right. But he said she burst through the doors after the second surgery and threw her arms around his neck and said, she's right. There's not a cell left, not a one. I'll be damned. And <clears throat> the beauty part about this is she said to Milton, my buddy, she said, her flesh is so pink and pretty and perfect, I don't think she ever had cancer. So we went from a visual inspection of the flesh being distorted by this disease process to being flawless. And I, I don't want to diminish that because I'm very grateful for that. But honestly, the healing of my soul, that's something only the divine can do is to restore our soul. And that is the real story in this. Wow. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's, that's, that's absolutely amazing. Um, so from that experience and where you're at now, I mean, obviously, it, it, you know, they, they, they see this cure, the experience you have had, the emotions that that had brought up at least where, where do you stand at this point in life on just looking on which which way do I point now well you know it's pretty cool um after this happened I was back at home I I decided to sell off every single thing I own uh. and I moved I did and the, the fun thing was before I sold it I would stand in front of you know my couch my chairs my lawn furniture my lamps my end tables every single thing and I would say a prayer and I'd say god this this item this thing has blessed me so richly and may it now bring a blessing to others may mm-hmm. it now enrich their life as it has enriched mine and I met the most wonderful people and I sold everything in my house and then I um I sold my brand new shiny car Pardon me, that I've waited on for some time. So I sold my car. I'd had that car about, I guess, seven or eight months. And I took it back to the dealership and dropped the keys in their hand and said, what do you give me for it? And they said, wait a second, you waited two months for this car to come in. You, this was a special order thing, you know? And I said, I know, I, I don't need it anymore. And I, I ended up in a slightly used Prius, which suited me well. Then I sold my house, put my house on the market, and it sold in two hours. Somebody knocked on the door and said, I'll take it. And then I loaded all my worldly belongings in a slightly used Prius C and drove a thousand miles west to start a new life. I moved into a family member's home, so I didn't even need anything. And uh, you know, uh, it, it was uh, quite a start. In fact, I was—I met a neuroscientist. She actually heard one of my YouTube videos, and she wanted to meet me because she, you know, everyone's fascinated by the NDE portion of this, and you know, the complete change. And she said, you know, Rosemary, the most interesting part to me about this story is now the the cancer and the healing and the heaven and all that stuff. She said the most interesting thing is how this you completely changed your whole life. She said the human brain is not wired that way to say let's jettison everything. Yeah, let's sell. Yeah. Everything I've ever had, I donated all my stuff. You know, I had a lot of research materials, donated it all to college libraries. Wow. Like a th- and she yeah, said that yeah. the human brain doesn't do that. Hmm. Like a th- yeah, I was kind of wondering, what, what were your family and friends thinking about, like, when you started selling everything <laughs> yeah. off? Like, oh, man, is she <laughs> – She's nuts. Is she reverting? She mind again. <laughs> well, or did they kind of know that you had your, your head and your spiritualness, like, intact in at that point? Two different friends called me. It was very sweet. Two different, very special friends called me and said, um, are you having suicidal thoughts? And I said, no, <laughs> I'm, I'm doing great. I'm in great shape because they couldn't understand. You know, what's funny is that is when people thought I'd lost my mind was when I sold every single thing. So, seems reasonable so, from their end. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yes. right. exactly. That's pretty funny. Josh, did you have something on your side? Oh, no. I uh, oh. just was like, it's that's when they thought that you lost your mind. Not when you were having like actual mental issues, but when <laughs> everything was resolved and you were like, you know what? I don't need all this crap. I'm just going to sell it. Yeah. 
Yeah. They were like, wait, are you okay? Yeah. (laughs) That was what worried people. You know, P.S. to this story, have y'all, I don't know if this was on, pardon me, Michelle's little cheat sheet there, but my buddy Milton, who had taken care of me so tenderly for two years, he was an avowed atheist and he used to subscribe to a magazine called American Atheist and he was very proud of it. And when it would come in the mail every month, he'd say, you know, this is very intelligently written. I think you'd enjoy it. (laughs) And I would always say, you know, you keep that to yourself. Well, so, you know, then comes the day where I, I literally die in front of him. And um, as soon as the doctors come in, the first thing they do, you know, this is after my heart has stopped and I've bled to death and I'm on that gurney, they shoo him out of the room, you know, so he gets to go stand out in the hallway and he's standing out in the hallway and he said he was thinking to himself, uh, this woman has kind of been my life for two years. You know, my goal has been keeping her alive, get, try to get her to eat a bite of food at night, taking care of her little dog you know, getting her to doctor appointments, psychiatrist appointments, managing her prescriptions, blah, blah, blah. He said, what do I do now? I just saw her die. You know, you don't come back from bleeding to death. And he said he was thinking those thoughts and an angel came to him in the hallway and said, it's okay. We just need her for a few minutes and she'll be back. (laughs) (laughs) What's his, what's his viewpoint now? Yeah. Well, you know, he didn't tell me about this until we were back home. And I was I was just uh, I was flopped out on my couch. I just got home from the hospital, and I was saying about how I had felt the presence of angels so intensely, even during those days in the hospital. And he said, so he's seated in front of me. I'm I'm laying on the couch, and his sister Mabel is also seated in front of me. And he says, "Well, I had a few angels of my own." And I said, "Oh, do tell." <laughs> and he said, "Well, one came to me in that hospital hallway." and said, it's okay, we just need her for a few minutes, she'll be back. And he said, I guess if there are angels, there's a God. And he said, I think you've proven that life goes on. And I said, so, Milton, what does this do to your belief system? And he said, it shatters every single thing I've ever believed. (laughs) And his sister became a little emotional, and she leaned forward in her chair and said, what she said was, brother, I've been praying for you for 40 years that you would find out about the love of God, and now you have. And I, I was still a little miffed about the whole coming back from heaven thing because, you know, I, I really did want to stay. I, I kind of feel like I got, you know, grabbed by the scruff of my neck and brought back. But mm-hmm. I thought to myself, if this was the reason I came back was to help Milton in his own journey, you know, after two years of taking care of me, I thought, yeah, maybe that's a pretty good reason. Yeah, even if it's that one thing. Well, and that's so that's my next question for you, Rosemary, is where do you stand now? Like now, you know, you, you've completely changed what you have. You've made your move. You sold everything. What, how are you going to put what you've learned into play? Like, is there a plan of attack you have for that? Or are you just kind of winging it from this this time on? I, you know what? You got any insights? I'm, all, I want to hear it. I, you know, everyone thinks there's some grand purpose for my life. I did write a book, and only under um, coercion. I mean, I've written nine books. Writing is, oh, what was it that that famous sports writer said? Writing. Oh, this is an apropos quote. Writing is easy. Just open a vein and bleed. Oh, nice. Yeah. <laughs> uh, his name was Red. Read something. He was a famous sports writer to whom hmm. that quote is attributed. But writing is hard. But yes, I did put it on paper. It should be out in uh, a month or so. But the okay. number, the name of the book is "Remembering the Light: How Dying Saved My Life," and my website is temporarydeath.com. Because I don't call this a near-death experience. Near-death is when you're on an airplane and it all goes wrong, and you know, at the last minute, the pilot pulls it out, and everybody applauds when the plane lands. That's mm-hmm. near death. I was not nearly dead. I was you dead, died. by the way, for more than twenty for more than ten minutes. 
I was stone cold dead. And the interesting thing about dying from a, a hemorrhage like that, they can't even do CPR because when they're doing those compressions, they're just pushing more blood out. So the belief is that after 10 minutes with no oxygenation to the brain or after three minutes, your brain is mush. And I, I swear, I feel like I came back supercharged. So not only was there not a decline, I feel like I got a boost. You know, and that's very interesting that you describe it that way, you know, because so you hear so many stories that are near death experiences and they went through the same thing. But, you know, 100 percent right. You know, you, you were dead. That's where you were. So, you know, let's redefine this a bit, you know. Yes. That's, that's very interesting. Yeah. Very Words interesting. matter. Yeah. And that's why I named my website temporarydeath.com. I, you know, I don't know if my vernacular will catch on, but mm-hmm. yeah, I, uh, I, I didn't come close to dying. And I, you know, I've, I actually heard a story about a man that was given a diagnosis of a very, a very ominous diagnosis. The expectation was that he'd be gone in 90 days. And then they found out that they misdiagnosed and that, you know, he was, he was treatable and he, re- he was able to be, um, he had a recovery. But the point is, he went and changed his life too, but he went out and he started picking up young girls and, and living kind of a lascivious life. That to mm. me is a near-death experience. And it didn't change him for the better. I mean, he, he broke up a family, he broke up a marriage and started chasing sweet young things. Sure. So, sure. yeah, I, near-death experience is not an appropriate, uh, it's not, just not a good descriptor. Yeah. Yeah, that's all very fair. Um, so I've get, just got one last question, real other than just having you on. Number one, amazing story. Uh, you know, I, I can't imagine going through something like that. I can't imagine even the you know aside the temporary death, everything before that. You know, we all have, I guess, the crosses we have to bear. It's just depending on how much can we stand. You know, each individual is different, and so kudos for you to come out on the other side of it. Um, when you look at that and you look at uh, one of the questions that actually Michelle had lined up, somebody that has that experience, you've kind of got a timeline on it. You know, like you have this experience. How do you get to res- a resolve, I suppose, after the fact? Do you want to kind of go into that a bit as far as, you know, it's not all cut and dried, basically? Yeah, yeah, that's a really good question. I wish more people would ask me that question. I'm not surprisingly, I do an awful lot of interviews, and I'm grateful for every single one. I mean, because you say, "Is there a reason you came back?" If there's no only reason, it's to give people hope and encouragement. Mm-hmm. We survive this body. We go on, and what's coming so much better than where we're at. Uh, but but we got to play by the rules. We're here on a spiritual contract. You know, and and we gotta we we can't we can't jump ship. We have to stick with it. Um, and I, I think it's important for people to realize that. But what's coming is so much better. Oh my gosh! What was the question? I went back to an earlier question. What was the question you just asked? Oh, it's one of those things where just how to make with the big picture. You know, how do you make peace with the big picture? Where we're at. You know, oh yes, yes, thank something you. like this. Yeah. Thank you. It's been a long. Oh no, day. you're fine. <laughs> Absolutely, no, we get it. Yeah, I should make notes. Um, yeah, how do you reconcile with the big picture? It's funny. I. I get an awful lot of emails from people who've lost a son or daughter to suicide, lost a spouse to suicide. More than the NDE, that seems to be the prevalent thing that people want to talk about is how do you make your peace when your spouse does this? That's a big deal. And suicide numbers are just going up so hard, so fast, especially during this time of isolation and everything. Sometimes people seem to assume that I am some bodhisattva or some, you know, some risen master. I, I still today, Today, I got frustrated over something somebody told me, and I sat in my room and cried for 20 minutes. I still have anxieties. I, I have PTSD, but it's, it's far more manageable. It's, I'm, I'm, I'm okay with life, but I'm, I'm not 
I, I still have the day-to-day struggles. And that's sometimes people think once you go to heaven, you know, all those problems are in the rearview mirror. You certainly get a whole new perspective. And I was not able to function with the losses occasioned by my husband's grief. And time wasn't making it better. Time was making it worse. So I certainly got a dramatic and remarkable healing, but I'm not, uh, I don't know. I'm, I'm just another human being walking this earth that had a pretty cool experience in the white room. Yeah, as I was say, you're still maintaining a body on this planet. So right. you're, you're not you, I still get my yet. mail so here. Still, yeah, you're still human. <laughs> yeah. So with being human, no matter if you've, you know, been able to climb out of a hole so far, you're still human right. and we all still have our struggles no matter. Absolutely. You know, yes. No matter what. Like yeah. you said, and if you still, saw me yeah. sitting in the lobby at the dentist office, you'd understand that really well. Yeah, I still sit in the lobby <laughs> at the dentist office and say, "Oh, guys, this is going to be over soon." I know. <laughs> we all do. You're not the only one. I'm not I'm a, tell I'm myself, not a breathe, the just breathe. It'll be all over soon. That's amazing. Don't take all your money after. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Uh, Rosemary, so John, Josh, you have any other questions? I, I'm tapped out. I mean, the story is amazing. <laughs> I, I mean, everything that she, I always, I love hearing those experiences of, of, of that other side, uh, because they, they, they just amaze me every single time. And every single story is different. They're not all the same, you know, they're patterned mm-hmm. to the human being, they're patterned to your experience. You know, there's, there's a lot of baggage that you, you know, you had in life. Maybe you took some of that up there to resolve, to clear, to come back, to be who you are. Um, it, it's just absolutely amazing, you know? Yeah. Well, and I'm, I'm glad that you've been able to come back the other side and, um, you know, move forward, even though, you know, you, everyone still struggles, but it's nice to know that you can put one step in front of the other and continue on. And yeah, it's, that's inspiring. So thank you. Thank yeah. you. Absolutely. Yeah. I think inspiring is the right word for that. Yeah. And uh, so, yeah, quick thank little, you for sharing that with us. Yeah, absolutely. You're very welcome. And I will say, so you sold everything. Um, and then, of course, what you had, you stuck in a Prius. So that would have been what, a, a box? <laughs> Maybe a box? Because I well, think that's all that you could fit no, in a Prius. I did leave some stuff in storage, which my my buddy, you know, helped me help me reunite with my stuff. But man, it it I mean, I, I had been married to a litigator. We lived in a 2,400 square foot house. It was stuffed with antiques. I winnowed down a lot. Good for and you. Good I, for you. And I mean, I even got rid of my bed and my mattress and, you know, my yeah. nightstands, everything. That's crazy. That's crazy. You know, really, one of my favorite parts of the story, the woman who bought my house had been living with her family. And she was moving away from living with her family into a home of her own. And I said to her, her name was Dee Dee. She and I became quick friends. But I said, Dee Dee, you know, I've got all the stuff in the refrigerator. It can't make a thousand-mile journey. And, you know, it's all that... It's the mayonnaise and the mustard and the ketchup and the, you know, all that stuff that costs a fortune. And yet, you know, you have to have it, but you don't use it every day. Mm-hmm. I, and I, I even had some uh, really good frozen food in the, in the freezer. And Didi came over one day and I said, Didi, if you want me to clear this out and put it all in the trash, I'll take care of it. But I said, I know that, you know, you're starting over in this house and you're you know coming out of a family home. She said, Rosemary, I would be so grateful if you would leave all that stuff. And I went to visit her about a year later, and I was able to enjoy my own marmalade jam out of the refrigerator. So it, it was such a beautiful expression of no waste in the divine economy. That yeah. there's, there's a purpose and a place for every single thing right down to the condiments. Uh, absolutely. Still using the mayo to this day. You know, that's funny. That's amazing. <laughs> Too cool. Um, Rosemary, thank you so much for coming on. If you don't mind, uh, stand by. We want to thank you off air. 
Um, but listeners, uh, that actually is Rosemary Thornton and uh, your book again, if you don't mind. We want listeners to make Remembering sure Remembering the Light, How Dying Saved My Life, and my website is TemporaryDeath.com. Fantastic. And the book will be out, you said, what, in 30 days, roughly? Hopefully 30 days, man. I've been working on this thing since uh, – it's, it's just been an awful lot of work. I, okay. Actually, I wrote two complete manuscripts, looked at them and thought, oh, they, they're not good, and I threw them right out. So this is – a lot of work. Well, yeah, and I'll geez. tell you, beside that fact, I'm really curious about your other books you wrote like pre because I'm a big old history house guy. So those fascinate me. I think that's really – Well, they're out the of series, print now. Yeah. Oh, are they really? That's oh, one of the things okay. I did. Yeah, I sold yeah, yeah. them all off on a fire sale. Oh. And it was huh. fascinating because I didn't want to move the books, but I'm yeah, not going to yeah. throw my books out. So I put a thing on Facebook Marketplace. I have a group of uh, you know uh, people who enjoy the same things. And so I put a notice on that page. It's by the way, it's what is it? Sears. Oh God, what did we call it? Sears Modern Homes page on Facebook. Mm-hmm. So I put the books up for sale and I said, look, I got about 120 left. I'll sell them at this price. I'll sign every book. Every book sold in 24 hours. So I didn't have to oh, move a cool. box of books either. That's awesome. Nice. That is awesome. But they're all gone now. Sorry. Yeah. Oh, bummer. That's okay. <laughs> Thought I tried. Yeah, yeah, I know. I'm a loser. So anyway, awesome. Rosemary, stand by. We'll thank you off air. But uh, everybody, that was Rosemary Thornton. All right, Ed, you know, it's shitty that none of those books are available because I really wanted – she was talking about that Sears house kits that they used to have in the Sears Robux catalog, and I so bad want to read that book because that's amazing. (laughs) But so cool. Yeah, now Amazon's doing the same thing. I think they're selling like prefab homes. Are they really? Yeah, yeah. They Amazon is in the home building business? They're in there, and they'll come and they'll build it. And There's no way I would ever buy an Amazon home. I don't think so. I, and then what if you don't like it? How are you going to put it back in FedEx and go, nope, can I return this to get my money back? Well, I, are they just building prefab homes like Ivory Homes? Like, welcome to the new neighborhood at Ivory Homes. Like, uh, like they're the actually Amazon's Amazon. your HOA. Yeah. <laughs> right. Could you imagine that? Well, those right those there. old Sears home kits, like basically, if I remember right, like they would just show up at your house and it was just all the material to build the house with the plan and yep. you fucking built it yourself and you like, built it yourself oh yeah. is that what it is see i don't even yeah. know what we're talking about so the you just get a book and it's a plan on how to build a house no no you, you literally get you no. things are shipped the, to your land and it's like exact th- everything's pre-cut but it's in a big pile so then yeah, you like, gotta put it uh, tough shed so it's an ikea for your it's home. an Ikea house. Yes. Yeah, it's an yeah. Ikea house. Okay. Yeah, no, yeah. I'm looking at this right now. That's pretty crazy. For less than $2,500, you can build this elegant concrete and frame construction nine-room $4,000 house. Isn't that Man, crazy? Can you Isn't imagine if you could build this giant house for four grand? Oh, my God. I'm just God. looking God. at like the Sears kit catalog or whatever from like 19, 1908 to 1914. Okay, I was going to well, say, yeah, grand it would have been and- turn of the century. Yeah. Yeah. So, and then I think it hit it big again while we're on the conversation, not to go too far off the off the yeah, ledge, yeah, yeah, yeah. but uh, you know, I think it hit it big uh, after World War II too. There was a bunch of prefabs, and people would you know like build these things. Suburbs popped up, yada yada yada. You know. So, yeah, one of my friends' grandfathers had a house, had one of those kit houses. Interesting. I've never heard That's of it. Crazy. Yeah, I hadn't yeah. either. And then he told me about it one day, and I was like. But this looks like a normal house. What the fuck? <laughs> I know it's crazy. I don't, yeah, I don't expect a kit house to not look 
like a to look like a normal house. I don't know why. Right, right. Well, well, evidently that's what um, Rosemary did in her past life was write books to that extent. So you know, kudos on you. You know, sorry they're not around, but um, her story was was absolutely amazing. I I do want to say so, John. You mentioned in the interview because she said she was raised as a Christian Scientist. You've never heard of it, and she touched on it briefly. I mean, I've but- heard the phrase, but it never was a thing that I was like. Oh, let's figure out what that is. Oh, what that is? Yeah. Yeah. So it actually was a religion. Sounds like an oxymoron. (laughs) No, I know. I'm with you. I don't know. I'm with you. It actually was something that was, uh, it was actually founded by a woman in the late 1800s. And that's what she believed in. And I think, God, and, you know, correct me, I guess we'll, I think her first name was Mary, to be honest with you. But she um, firmly believed that prayer and positive thought will heal anything, will heal your body, which, you know, to a certain point, we talk about this a lot with just positive enforcement. On yeah, it, it that's what it is. And it, I think there's, I know. think there's some something to prayer for yeah. sure because yeah. you're just putting Absolutely. your good energy and you're like focusing all your energy and your mm-hmm. positive thoughts to something. I mean, if you're going to be negative and shitty, you're going to get negative and shitty results. But if you're positive yeah. and you know trying to put forth that type of energy, like you know. I, I, yeah. Exactly. I and mean, I mean, you can go, I, don't, you know. I just don't think you need to pray. There's not one right way to pray. I, exactly. You know, you pray to God yeah. or Jesus or just right, right. And I and I or, think you know, uh, whatever. I think what really screws people up is word prayer, especially you know, like like obviously we're not, you know, we don't go to church every Sunday, so maybe you don't use the word prayer. Maybe you use something else, but it's the same message getting delivered. It's just in yeah. a different package. That's all it is. Yeah, right. for sure. So. Yeah, it's not my favorite word, but also like I get it. Like we don't need to like. Well, actually, I like to call it talking to myself <laughs> positively. Right, you know, exactly. Like, whatever. Yeah, prayer is fine. Yeah, 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 yeah. No, I have no qualms with that at all. So anyway, she brought that up, and that's kind of some background of that. But uh, an amazing story. You know, I, I'm I'm kind of looking forward to her book. I'm I'm kind of I'm curious about it. Uh, curious a little bit about like what her next step is. I guess you know, like where do you. Mm. Where do you go after that? Like personally, if I had that kind of experience, I, I I don't I don't know. I don't know how I would come back from the other side and what how I would process everything. If that makes sense, it, it would be something. It would definitely, I think, be hard um, knowing what you walked away from. You know, who knows? Like, I'm sure whatever was behind that door would potentially pretty awesome. Yeah, yeah. Or unless all of a sudden you go through the door and you're just born again. And you know what? You know There's what a lot you of people the that door think and all like of a sudden that. you're a new life. All of a sudden, you're a cockroach. I hope that doesn't happen. I know. For me personally. I don't want to like go through yeah. the. I don't want to be in a white room, go through the door, and be like, okay, all right, let's see where this is going. And all of a sudden, I'm just a newborn again. Like, yeah, shit, damn it. I got to yeah, do this give again. Me a break for a minute. <laughs> yeah, I have to do this again. Like, give me a yeah. breather. Well, you know what's funny, and and I we may have talked about this, or it was a book that I I've read. I can't remember. Do you guys remember? There's somebody that had said that the reason we cry when we're born is because we're remembering the memory from the past. And and it's like you said, you walk through the door, bam, now you're newborn. And that's where we're balling because they're like, oh, shit, here we go again. And that's one of the reasons. Fuckers, what am I doing here? <laughs> that's one of the reasons you come out of the womb just bawling your head off. So I can't remember whether there's a book or we talked about it, but uh, you know, it's just, just amazing. No, but, I think you read that somewhere. That yeah. sounds so familiar yeah. to me at all. Yeah, yeah. I, I have another theory of why all that happens, though. It's just DMT, like your DMT is being released, and like you just have an epic, maybe kind yeah. of trip. Yeah, totally. not, I, I'm not saying that every like anybody's experiences 
not true or anything. Like, I don't know. It's no, just but, an interesting I mean, theory. Like, is that the DMT going or is this what truly happens? Well, it is that because it is. You listen, to, you listen to people's trips on DMT and they're like, yeah, I, f- I flew up into outer space. I talked to aliens right. or I talked to, you know, um, people have talked to God and everything. So, and that is like the chemical that releases when you're in REM sleep and when you die. Yep. Absolutely. And it floods your system. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Like that's what happens. So it very well may be, right? You know, I don't know. Yeah. Who knows? Who so, am I? Anyway. Yeah. Who are we anyway? But uh, yeah, thank you, Rosemary, for coming on. Absolutely, it was absolutely yeah. cool. It was cool. Um, we, so just as a reminder for our listeners, uh, we do have what boys, we've got one, we've got a news episode coming up. We've got another one coming up. Uh, and then I think we're going to take a bit of a breather, a little sabbatical for a couple of weeks. Allow me to move, and then we're going to come back with season season five. So, you know, and that'll be in June. So we got some things kind of on the horizon, and uh, we want to set up for the Patreon members. We want to do Strangers Around the Table again here soon. Uh, apologize, you know, life kind of gets in the way. I know we've done a done a couple in the past. We want to try to kick that off a little bit more. Uh, more likely, that'll be in the June time frame too. So, if you're a Patreon yeah. listener, stand by for that. Uh, and yeah, other than that, I, I think. Uh, you know, great interview, great talk. And, um, you know, if you have other questions, anything you want to follow through with, you can email us at strangeuncles at gmail.com. And you can call us at our hotline, 801-252-69. Oh, yeah. 45, I know you're very enthusiastic. <laughs> I'm dying over here. Let's get the socials out of the way. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, but let us know, you know, if you have a story, you have comments, you want anything, you know, we'd love, we'd love to hear from you. We've got a couple things lined up. We want to, I think, make a show with just call-ins, you know, is kind of where we're going from. Um, how are we looking on the other socials, Josh? Oh, you know, they're the same as last week. Um, <laughs> Strange Uncles podcast at Instagram and Facebook and uh, Strange Uncles on Twitter. Um, we have a YouTube channel. Um, I think that's pretty much all of them. I think you covered yeah. it for the most. Do we have good. a MySpace or like a, like a Friendster? No, and I don't think we have AOL. I don't think we went down that. We're going to set up an OnlyFans here in the next couple of weeks. That's why we're taking a couple. I hope you guys like feet pictures, (laughs) titillating. Get it? Wink, wink. Nudge, nudge. So anyway, that's how we're going to make some money. Yeah, exactly. Um, You know, we're all kind of John. I know you're kind of you're trying to recoup. We're going to end this episode now, but uh, you know, still good. Hopefully, you take care. Like I said, wake up tomorrow morning. It'll be like night and day. It'll be a little bit better. Hopefully, at the at the end of yeah. everything. Yeah. But, um, oh, and, uh, you know, if anybody is, I don't mean to drag this episode on because I want to have a date with my couch, but <laughs> if anybody is struggling with suicide and you don't have anybody to talk to, mm-hmm. um, you know, you don't want to talk to a friend or a family member, um, call the suicide prevention hotline. That number is one 800 talk that number again is one eight hundred two seven three talk, which is eight two five five. So I'll just leave 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 it with that. And and that's a great call because you know that's one thing. I, that's what she talked about from the very beginning, and it really rocked her world and brought her down to the point of, I I, I don't think she knew she was going to be able to come back. You know, so that that's very legitimate. I appreciate you throwing mm-hmm. that out there for sure, especially in the midst of the pandemic. I know I talk to some people that are like, you know what, I can't. What's this world? if this is our life. And so yeah. I get it, man. You know, It is that time of year also. Um, yeah. So, you know, if whatever you're going through, if you're going through it, there are probably, there are people that can help. Yeah. Talk to somebody. doesn't have to be 
a friend or family member, if you'd rather nope. talk to a stranger, yep. just somebody. Absolutely. Talking helps. Yep. You just get it out. Don't lock it up. Don't climb the womb. That's uh, that's step, yeah, you, that's problem number one. If yeah, that's piling shit it. on top of shit never helps. No, it does not. It eventually it will fall over for sure. Yep. So. Yep. It just turns into a big old pit toilet. Yep. <laughs> Absolutely. So with that being said, thanks everybody. Uh, John, take care. We'll see you on the other side and uh, close the gates.